As we were singing that song, it, it just uh, dawned on me, uh, Jonathan and I didn't uh, pick that song for this reason or plan it ahead of time, but uh, in 1978, I was part of a radio, bi- radio Bible class, which means the whole Bible classroom setting was on radio. Um, it was in Chattanooga, Tennessee, and I was just an attendee to the class, but the class was on the book of Romans. And that song was our theme song. So we would turn on our radio to see when we were supposed to start the class was as soon as that song was over, then we were live. You know, the the green light came on. Everybody was supposed to behave themselves because we were live. But as I thought about that song this morning, um, so much of it is a part of the text. Romans 18 through uh, 32 is that Paul was eager to preach the gospel because he knew the Romans had a crimson stain. And Jesus was the good news that washed it white as snow. And we need to see that uh, significant message. Paul says, you know, I I can't wait to get to Rome. If you go back chapter 1 of Romans, verse 15, he says, for my part, I'm eager to preach the gospel to you also who are in Rome. I can't wait. I got to get there. Why do I need to get there? Because your situation is so terrible, bad, nasty. You are a mess. And you have no hope unless I get there and give you good news. And that good news is in verses 16 and 17. Verse 17, the righteousness of God is revealed from faith to faith. The righteous man by faith can live. He wanted to get to Rome and give him that good news. I thought about, you know, we are a, a nation right now. We're people. We don't talk about bad news. We want to uh, uh, push it aside. We want to want to uh, accentuate the positive, build everybody up. Everybody's free to do whatever they want. Just build them up. That's who they are right where they are. We don't want to talk about bad stuff. Uh, but sometimes we need to hear the bad stuff to really appreciate the good stuff. And if we don't know the bad stuff about our lives or about our world, um, we're likely to think we're okay when we're not. Uh, It's kind of like the guy who went, you remember the high schooler who went to Korea a few years ago, North Korea, on a school trip? He stole a poster and then was arrested for it, tortured for it, finally released back to America and died as a result of it. You know, when Patty and I went to Korea... I thought about, man, I can't wait to get out of this place. Sometimes you don't know how bad you want to get out until you see how bad it is. How bad do you really want to get out of Korea? Of course, we were in South Korea. North Korea is just an hour away from where we were at some points. Um, North Korea kills more people with pollution right now than any other nation. I still feel like my throat hurts from the pollution I swallowed. While I was in South Korea. I mean, it's like, I can't wait to get out. By the way, um, our son, daughter, son-in-law, daughter, two grandkids, they get out in 23 days. You know, praise the Lord, they get discharged from the army out of South Korea. And so hopefully I never have to go back, you know. Uh, And I can't wait for them to get out. But when you see a place that's so different than us and it's so bad, it's like, can't wait to get out of that. Do we have that sense of urgency and feeling 
out of sin, out of this, this mess that we work ourselves into because of ignoring God and His Word. That's what Paul was dealing with. He said, I can't wait to get to Rome because you folks there really don't know how bad it is. And I can't wait to get there and get you out and give you the redemption message that's only found in Christ. Let's, let me just, I'm going to take some time and just w- walk through. So instead of reading all of Romans 1, 18 through 32, I'll read it verse by verse as I seek to explain it to you. So just keep your Bible in front of you there and we'll, we'll go through it. First of all, I want you to see, um, God, uh, Paul begins with the message that God's angry. Verse 18, the wrath of God. So the anger of God is revealed from heaven against all ungodliness and unrighteousness of men who suppress the truth in unrighteousness. Now let's stop and think about God's anger for a minute because it's not like ours. When it says here the wrath of God or the anger of God's poured out, don't think of that as anger like you and I are angry. Because God doesn't get angry like we get angry. We get angry by the way people drive in front of us. We get angry at the way people dress. We get angry at the way people treat us. We fly off the handle. We have outbursts of anger. God doesn't do that. God's anger is always a holy response to unholiness. It's a just response to injustice. God's anger is always patient, well thought out, purposeful, planned, directed in justice and holiness. So God's not showing here that I'm getting angry because I'm just fed up, I'm frustrated, I'm tired. None of that. That's not the way God gets angry. When God gets angry, it's a holy, righteous anger, justly deserved and here he says, he is pouring it out by the, you know, like by the bucketfuls, by the boatloads. He is pouring out wrath, anger. It's revealed from heaven. How does his anger come out? It's, it's revealed from heaven. Do you feel this distaste God has for mankind? I mean, there, there are people that make me have a sense of distaste. We like things to be like us. Well, God likes things to be like Him. But see, He's holy and righteous, and we're not. His anger is poured out because we're not like Him. We're not holy. We're not righteous. It says here, we have chosen ungodliness, unrighteousness, suppressing the truth. His anger is poured out because we are unrighteous. We're ungodly. His anger wouldn't be poured out if there were not ungodliness, unrighteousness. Because he doesn't have anger unless it's holy and just anger. Um, how, how is it revealed? It's revealed on those who suppress the truth in unrighteousness. Um, God's anger is revealed as a righteous, holy anger, and it's on those who really do see it coming. A lot of people say, it's not fair for God to pour out His anger because I didn't know it was coming, or so-and-so doesn't even know God. So that would be unfair. That would be unrighteous. 
And God's answer to that, no, it's not unfair at all. And the reason it's not unfair at all, verse 19, because that which is known about God is evident within them. And God made it evident to them. Verse 20, since the creation of the world, his invisible attributes, his eternal power, his divine nature have been clearly seen, being understood through what has been made, so they are without excuse. God is saying his revelation of himself is always sufficient. Everyone who has ever been born, whether you've been born in the bush of Africa or in worse places like the pollution in L.A. or New York, regardless of where you've been. So I was born in a place where nobody ever talked about God. God says, you're still without excuse. You still have sufficient information. And the reason I know that is because I designed you. And I put within every person I created a sense of God. So that every person, regardless of where they were born, regardless of how much information they had, they know when they do stuff contrary to a holy God. Sometimes, oh, I know I shouldn't have done that. How do you know you shouldn't have done that? Because I designed it that way. I put within every single person a sense of there being a creator God who has designed them and wants certain things to happen according to design. Mankind knows when he messes up. So I don't think that's really true. And God says, that's because you suppress the truth. Verse 18, the last part. Suppress the truth in un righteousness. We're good at that. We know the truth. We know that there's truth about God. We know there's a creator God. We know he designed us. We know he wants us to do things a certain way. We know when we don't do it, and then we go and deny it, that we know it. We suppress the truth in unrighteousness. Uh, Our tendency is to suppress the truth. We're good at suppressing the truth. You remember Nicholas Copernicus? Not personally, but you know who he is. You have heard of the Copernican Revolution. He was the guy that did the math. He figured it out. He says, I think I feel the earth moving. Let me do the math. And he did the math, and he realized that we weren't geocentric after all. Until his day, everybody thought, as you would think... That we're the center of the universe. That everything revolves around us. And we thought the earth was the center. We were geocentric. The sun went around the earth. Everything was revolving around us. As Copernicus does the math, he says, no, actually, the earth is moving. And it's moving on Apparently some sort of axis. It's, it's moving. And not only is the earth moving on its own axis, it's revolving around the sun. The sun's not the one moving. We're the one moving. And Copernicus figured all that out. And his students saw that he had figured it all out. And they said, you need to publish this stuff. This is, this is unbelievable. We've had it wrong all this time. Everybody Copernicus shared the information with would scoff at him, persecute him, ridicule him. Say, you're crazy. That's not true. That's not true. That's not true. And so when they came to him and said, let's publish the information, he says, no, I'm not doing that. He says, we live in a world that 
is not interested in truth. They suppress the truth. So we didn't get the information about Copernicus until after he died. And then they published his work because he, he feared persecution. Then he feared persecution because we're good at suppressing the truth. You know it with Columbus. Everybody thought the world was flat. We're good at suppressing the truth. Of suppressing the truth. We know the truth. We just flat out deny it. And we want to suppress it. And God says, just because you suppress it, doesn't make it not so. I have designed you with a sense of who I am. That I am eternal being. That I have created you. I have power you don't have. And I have designed you to live godly and holy lives. And you're not doing it. And because you're not doing it, I am pouring out my wrath. God is angry at those who are not following His truth and His ways. Um, and verse, the last part of verse 20, and they are without excuse. Don't think, you know, I, I'm, I'm going to get to heaven, I'll have some excuse. No, 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 no. There is no excuse for ignoring God, throwing out reason, throwing out um, everything. You know, the people who say there's no God, just wait till there's an earthquake. They're in one. Wait till there's thunder. Wait till there's lightning coming after them. Watch them run and watch them cry out to the God they said didn't exist. You know, it happens over and over. You may have read even in the news this week saying... Talk, uh, News stories about the wrath and the anger of the Arkansas River. As the flood waters have come up. It's, it's not the anger of the river. It's God pouring out His wrath and anger against all ungodliness. God's in charge. A lot of times we want to suppress that truth. And God says, that's not going to work for you. Everyone is without excuse. God sees us. I used the word nasty. I just wanted to, I said, I God, I got to pick a word they're not used to hearing. Okay? So maybe it'll stick with you. Verse 21, God says, I'm angry because you're nasty. For even though they knew God, so that you're trying to deny it, even though they knew God, they did not honor him as God or give thanks, but they became futile in their speculations and their foolish heart was darkened, professing to be wise, they became fools, and they exchanged the glory of the incorruptible God for an image in the form of corruptible man and of birds and four-footed animals and crawling creatures. Um, God just begins to talk about things we do that he is angry at. Uh, it's distasteful to him. Think about it this way. Um, you all have nasty stories. I tried to tone it down. Something, I, know, I want you to think about something that's nasty, but something we can present in a public forum, okay? One of the things that when I thought of nasty was watching a dog eat its own vomit. It's not, the food wasn't supposed to go into him that way. It's not supposed to come out of him that way. It's just nasty. It's nauseating to me. And God says, yes, my life wasn't, is not coming out of you or into you the way I designed it either. And that's nauseating. It's nasty. It's not according to design. 
And I'm tired of it. I'm always tired of it. In the sense that my anger will be poured out. I've been patient and patient. Why are we nasty? He gives us three reasons. Verse 21. We willfully ignore God. Number one. Even though they knew God, they didn't honor Him as God or give thanks. Do you see there? We willfully ignore Him. Do you see God's priority? They knew God. If you know God, what's your number one priority? Give thanks to God. He made you. He wonderfully and fearfully made you in your mother's womb. You know God, but you don't make your number one priority worship. To exalt God. To honor God as your creator. To thank God. It still baffles me to this day. People who call themselves Christians and worship seems in their practical living out of their life. It seems, worship seems optional. It's, it's the first reason God gives why he pours out his wrath. Because people do not honor me. People don't worship me. People don't give thanks to me for making their lives. They breathe the air I created. They live the life I gave them. And they don't turn around and give thanks and honor and glory and praise. They willfully ignore me. I don't think you should even have the conversation on Sunday morning. Oh, do we go to church or not this, today? It's like, What? That's our number one priority. How does that ever get into the conversation? God says he pours out his wrath because we willfully ignore him. That's the first reason he gives. Second reason he gives. We ignorantly reason against him. The last part of verse 21 says our thinking has become futile. We speculate. Maybe it's not true. He says... It's foolishness. Their foolish heart is darkened. People who think they are smart, they profess to be wise, and they became fools. Anytime you reason against God, I don't care how smart you think you are, that's a losing battle. You're foolish. To think you can outwit, outsmart, outtalk, outthink, out anything. With God. You speculate instead of reading God's word and say, well, this is what God says. This is so. But sometimes we speculate, well, maybe it's not so. Maybe you should do it this way or that way. God says, that's always foolish. Why do you even go there? Why do you think that way? That kind of thinking does not honor me. Um, divinity is always important. You know, I encourage people to start asking themselves, when, whenever you see a movie, whenever you see a, read a book, whenever you uh, watch a, a television show, whenever you see something online, just constantly be asking, where is God in the, this picture? Where is God in this picture? Don't speculate as though life can possibly exist without God. It doesn't. We willfully ignore Him, and then we reason against Him, and then verse 23, we just try to totally replace him. Verse 23, they exchange the glory of the incorruptible God for an image in the form of corruptible man and birds and four-footed animals and crawling creatures. Now, uh, sometimes you think, well, we don't really create, you know, I don't have any idols in my home. I don't have any uh, birds. 
you know, on the mantle or, or uh, four-footed creatures. I'm, I'm not doing that. You know, there's a sense in which we do do that. And we're not even thinking about it. We're suppressing it. We're denying it. How many companies, how many organizations, how many family crests, how many people have chosen an eagle? Why did you choose the eagle as your emblem? Well, because of the way it soars, because of the way it looks over. And, and you start showing your loyalty to certain powers of winged creatures. Or why did you pick the bear? Or why did you pick the lion? Or why did you pick the tiger? Think Auburn or Clemson. And why do you rally behind those things so it's so easy for us to exchange our worship our God for something else and quickly get there and not only that um, corruptible men so many times what we really worship are the best of men or the Hollywood image of man and woman or the physical fit or sports, or athlete, or wealthy person. We, we do worship created stuff, created powers and beings. We pride ourselves, say, no, we don't, and yet God says, yes, you do. Because you're not giving that worship to me, to God. You're giving it to these creatures. I watch it over and over. You willfully ignore me, you reason against me, and then you just totally replace me. Verse 24, therefore, God says, God gave them over in the lust of their hearts to impurity so that their bodies would be dishonored among them, for they exchanged the truth of God for a lie, and they worshiped and served the creature rather than the creator who is blessed forever. Amen. I want us to think in the next couple of weeks about how we, our culture's exchanging the truth of God there, verse 25, for lies in this area. We'll look at pornography. We'll look at LGBTQ. It's in the text how our culture is running away from God, exchanging the truth of God for the lie that these things are okay. God says, therefore, you know, what's this therefore here? It's pretty obvious, isn't it? Therefore, God says, I'm going to give you, I'm going to let you run with this. You have this passion to run into immorality. You run into impurity. It's profane. I'm going to let you go with that. And you're going to see that going with that is miserable. The further you go from God instead of to God, the more misery you will experience. Um, look at Psalm 32, verses 3 and 4. This is David's psalm, a little bit different context. But in it, you see what I think Romans 1 is talking about. <clears throat> and we're going to see a contrast in Romans when we get to chapter 5. I can't, I'm like Paul, I'm eager to get there. I, I, because in, by the time you get to Romans 5, he begins talking about living life under the justification of Christ. Romans 1, he's talking about living life under the wrath of God. Look at this, uh, Psalm 32, 
Verse 3 and 4. David said, When I kept silent about my sin, my body wasted away. Think about that a minute. David says there's a correlation. My sin drains the vitality of my flesh. When I keep silent about my sin, when I don't confess it, when I don't deal with it according to God's word, my body suffers. There's a suffering under sin, keeps going, through my groaning all day long. For day and night your hand, it's God's hand, was heavy upon me. My vitality was drained away as with the fever heat of summer. I just want you to see the psalmist here saying, there's this correlation between sin and life. And life is, a, is, is miserable when we're in sin. And the more we are in sin or the more we ignore sin, the more we suppress the truth of our sin the more we end up groaning and moaning and complaining day and night and our vitality seems to be draining from us and we don't seem to know our purpose or have significance or have identity. Our lives grow in misery because of sin. And the reason that is because God's hand, heavy hand, is against us. Same kind of language in Romans 1. God is pouring out His wrath. And God says, because of your sin, and you're keeping silent about your sin, you're suppressing the truth of it. You don't want to deal with it. You want to ignore me, and you want to replace me. All right, then I'm going to let you sin a while. I'm going to turn you over and let you think you've got the freedom to sin at your pace. But my heavy hand is upon you. And life, we think, is going to be fun in the pleasures of sin. And then we begin to grow in diseases and sicknesses and illnesses. And vitality seems to drain. And we go to other sins to try to solve the problems of those sins. And it becomes more and more um, a headache and a groaning and a moaning or an addiction that we can't escape from. And it's exactly what God is saying is going to happen. God turns us over to that. We think it's going to be fun. It, to me, it's like God saying, okay, I'll let you play in poison ivy if you want to. Do you not see that's, that's, that's not going to be good for you? you know, and yet, that's what we do. We think it's okay to, uh, he begins to speak about sexual immorality here. We think, you know, God says, I designed sex between a male and a female. You want to you run with that? You say, no, I, I don't want to just stay with those limitations. And so we go into adultery and rape and prostitution and date sex and wife swapping and group sex and friends with benefits and live-in lovers and all these things that are contrary to God's Word. And where does that get you? Does it get you into meaningful existence? No, it doesn't. Because God's heavy hand is against us to draw us back to himself. The nasty gets worse. Verse 26. For this reason, God gave them over to degrading passions. So you have these passions, and then he 
says, I'll, I'll give you over to degrading passage, passions, for their women exchange the natural function for that which is unnatural. And in the same way, also the men abandon the natural function of the woman and burn in their desire towards one another. Men and women committing indecent acts and receiving in their own persons the due penalty of their error. He gives an illustration here, verses 26 and 27, of homosexuality. And he talks about God designing a natural function of males and a natural function of female. And homosexuality is abandoning the natural function for something that's unnatural. In other words, not according to design. God designed men to be men and women to be women. Not to be equal, to be different, to be complements to one another as God's gifts to one another. God designed it that way. And I think perhaps he chose homosexuality as the illustration here. Researchers, because of this, researchers show that the first or 14 of the first 15 emperors of Rome, 14 of the first 15 emperors of Rome were homosexuals. Americans think we invented that. We think LBGTQ is us. You know, that's our wisdom. No, 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 no. This existed long before. Then it existed long before Rome. And Paul is writing directly to the Romans. Saying, I know this is who you are. I can't wait to get there. You need this stuff. You need to know how nasty it is. And let me pick... This is an illustration because you are living this world right now. You're living in the midst of rulers who are homosexuals. And they are exchanging the truth of God for a lie. And they're leading you that direction. And you think, no, this is wise. You speculate. It's so foolish. You see very quickly here, Paul presents it and God presents it. That homosexuality is a sin. It's a degrading passion that God has given them over to. They were sinning. I'll let you take that to a new level. You're sinning against your creator, designer. I'll let you design your own sexuality. Contrary to design. That's not going to work for you. It's, uh, homosexuality is a sin. It's not a genetic preference. It's not genetic orientation. We're not born homosexual. We were born naturally, using scripture language, naturally a male or naturally a female. We're not fluid changing that. That's the way God designed us. And there's certain activities that are supposed to happen that are complements to male and female. Well, realizing that homosexuality is a sin my point too there, it, that's good news. Because if it's a sin, then it can be forgiven. And you can get right with God. If it's genetic and you can't do anything about it, you're doomed and damned for it by God. But if it's a sin, then there's forgiveness. And of course, that's where Paul is trying to, to lead them, uh, is to see... This in the past. We need to turn from our sin. Um, and, and, and the issue of homosexuality, that's not the only sin here. 
And it's not the worst sin here. It's a sin that's listened here, listed here. Notice, he, after giving that illustration, because that's obviously very much a part of their lives, he keeps going, verse 28. And just as they did not see fit to acknowledge God any longer, so you're rejecting God to go this direction, God gave them over to a depraved mind to do those things which are not proper. And then he begins to give this list. Things that are not proper, being filled with all unrighteousness, wickedness, greed, evil, full of envy, murder, strife, deceit, malice, gossips, slanderers, haters of God, insolent, arrogant, boastful, inventors of evil, disobedient to parents, without understanding, untrustworthy unloving, unmerciful. And although they know the ordinance of God, if it helps you, some translations have there, although knowing the judgment of God, either translation is good. Although knowing the judgment or the ordinance, the law of God, that those who practice such things are worthy of death. Do you get that? All of these sins, not just homosexuality, all of these sins are worthy of death. They not only do the same, but they also give hearty approval to those who practice them. It reminded me of the man... uh, uh, Is VBS about Jonah? Okay. Good illustration then. Uh, Look at Jonah chapter 1. Um. And this is something that won't be in VBS, I, I trust you. But, uh, because we don't typically think um, Jonah's in the Minor Prophets, Hosea, Joel, Amos, Obadiah, Jonah. Let's see if I can find it. There it is. Jonah chapter 1. Uh, one of the things people don't talk about when they talk about Jonah is the men on the boat. I want to talk about the men on the boat. Jonah 1, verse 9. He said to them, Jonah's talking to the men on the boat. I'm a Hebrew, and I fear the Lord God of heaven who made the sea and the dry land. Then the men became extremely frightened, and they said to him, How could you do this? For the men knew he was fleeing from the presence of the Lord because he had told them. So they said to him, What should we do that the sea may become calm for us? For the sea was becoming increasingly stormy. And he said to them, Pick me up, throw me into the sea. Then the sea will become calm for you. For I know that on account of me this great storm has come upon you. However, the men rowed desperately to return to land. They could not, for the sea was becoming even stormier against them. And they called on the Lord and said, We earnestly pray, O Lord, do not let us perish on account of this man's life, and do not put innocent blood on us, for you, O Lord, have done as you pleased. Now, just think about the men. They got it. Jonah's running, and he's under the wrath of God. And these men who don't even know God say, who are you? I, uh, I'm a Hebrew. I, I worship the God who created heaven and earth. Whoa. That was truth they had been suppressing. They didn't want to acknowledge that God. But when it comes down to life and death, we're going to die here? Oh, whoa, whoa, whoa. We're ready to honor that God. And we're ready to talk to that God. We're ready to listen to that God. They understood one thing. Their sin was worthy of death. 
Jonah's sin was worthy of death. We have all committed capital offenses against a holy God. And our sins are worthy of death. And our sins can only be atoned for by death. The death of Christ for us. That's the good news Paul wants to get to and share with them. We sometimes think we're not that bad. No, 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 no. You are nauseating. You are nasty before a holy, righteous God. And your only hope is to be thoroughly cleansed, washed, whiter than snow, as that song we were singing. Um, there's more that can be said, obviously. There's a lot of details in Romans 1, 18 through 32. But let's just take home some practical illustrations, practical application. What are the main points of the text? Number one, I think that suppressing the truth, I put it down there for you, suppressing the truth about God ensures wrath from God. The world needs to know that. Suppressing truth about God ensures wrath from God. You can deny it if you want that there is a God. You can deny it if you want that He demands holiness. That just ensures His wrath. Well, how do I escape the wrath? That's point two. Embracing the truth of God (coughs) ensures escape from God's wrath through faith in the righteousness of Christ. Embracing the truth about God ensures escape through the righteousness of Christ that we can receive by faith. Um, There's no justification before God except it be given to us by Christ. Except he pay the penalty we deserve, which is death. And then number three, receive the good news of Christ, death, and life for yours. If you haven't done that, if you're um, living like Jonah's friends, uh, we've just been ignoring that God. And then you come face to face and say, Lord, what do you want us to do? We're ready. If that's where you are today, receive Christ. Say, Lord, I, I, Christ, I need you in my life. I need your righteousness. Obviously, my sin's not going to work. I need your righteousness. I need to be redeemed from sin and brought into a life of holiness and righteousness, which only you can provide. Let's pray together. Father, thank you for your word. Wow, Lord, we, we live in... A land with so many devices that are filled with ignoring you and replacing you, exchanging you, speculating apart from you. Have mercy. Help us. We're sinners that want to so quickly deny that we're sinners. We want to make life about us and our pleasures. And we don't see the heavy hand of God upon us, though we are miserable much of the time and waste away and are experiencing trial after trial and never learning from it. 
Father, have mercy and forgive us and cleanse us. May we be those who learn to love you as our top priority. And may we be those concerned for our fellow men and women and boys and girls trapped by all kinds of immorality and running fast into more, approving it time and time again as the way to go and running far from you. Father, let us be the light of the world. Let us be ambassadors of Christ, servants, taking the truth to those who scoff and suppress. And Lord, sharing the goodness the good news of righteousness by faith. We thank you, Lord. We praise you. We adore you. In Jesus' name, amen.